welcome to our podcast, The Albecchio Show. This podcast covers technology, business and sport, my happy trifecta. This podcast will see an array of guests and friends feature and share their stories, educating us both in the process. The best way to describe my guest today is an all-round wonderful, caring, kind empath. He extends much more than that and has a reach that kind of extends the football platform and domain in which we met. I don't want to spoil the fun ahead of time, so with no further ado, really, really pleased to introduce my next guest, Matt Hemsworth. Hey Matt, I'm so pleased to have you here. This is completely true. I make a list of provisional guests and you were actually in my original list when I actually thought about first podcasting. Oh um, wow. And yeah, yeah, genuinely, uh, genuinely so. So let's introduce you a little. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually thought about shoehorning um, a retired joke in there to get you back for the podcast, but you're a reputation and privacy lawyer by trade, mm-hmm. though you've also specialised in other areas including defamation, uh, harassment, copyright and so on. Is that right? That is absolutely right, yeah. Good. You run B5 Consultancy along ex-pro footballer Fraser Franks and more recently Lee Nicholl joined the team. Yeah. In your words, can you share a little bit more about the superb work that you do? Oh, crikey. The superb work, because they say you want me to say how brilliant I am. I'm not really. I'm really privileged to um, be where I am right now. I've done 21 years I've been a media lawyer. I was very fortunate as a 23-year-old lad. I applied for a job at quite a well-known London law firm which specialises in, in media law, managed to get the job and just never let, let go of it really and um, it's a privilege every day to do a job that I, I absolutely love. When I explain to footballers what I do, because I do lots of presentations to footballers, I say that my job has been for 21 years arguing with newspapers, which probably does a disservice really because I quite value the relationships I've got with lawyers that work at newspapers. But although my job is in reputation and protecting reputation, I think that's slightly less important. The most important thing for me in my job is the person, protecting the person, because it's a great or terrible part of the human trait is that we are absolutely beholden to shame and embarrassment. When things go wrong in our life, when we think that everyone's talking about us and saying terrible things about us, it becomes quite difficult to operate and value ourselves. And it was one of the things that I really noticed of being, and I still do the day job as a, as a media lawyer, but you know, when someone's in the middle of a media crisis, how it impacts them, their family, and everyone around them is absolutely huge. Which is why I'm a big believer in the law of privacy. Now, things that happen in relationships, things about health, all those things that should stay behind closed doors, they should for good reason because they genuinely impact us when they, when they, when they get leaked and they appear in newspapers and whatever else. But because I'm so passionate about mental health and about the protection of the person, in 2020, I decided to... I actually sold my half of the business to my business partner. There's two lawyers running it. Now there's only one, Chris, on his own, and he's fantastic. I still consult with Chris, but I wanted to do something slightly different, which is where B5 Consultancy came in. We already had Fraser working with us. Fraser Franks is um, he's an ex-football player. He came through Chelsea's academy. Chelsea introduced me to him, and he had a really great career in Largely in League Two. He always does himself down whenever we give presentations. There's a lovely picture of him playing against Man City in the FA Cup. And he'll always say to anyone that will listen, I never got anywhere near this standard. Well, you did, Fraser, because you were on the pitch with him. So you must have got to that standard. But he had a great career in professional football. And he was working with us at the law firm. And, you know, he knows what a difficult environment elite sport is. And working with him, we were able to develop a product which was more holistic. And it was... I sometimes use the analogy that my job as a media lawyer is a firefighter. You know, I turn up when the fire's on 
and just you know try and douse the flames but you you know the inside of your house is all burnt and charred and you know life, life's been wrecked but we try and save what we can and the whole point of b5 is you know trying to show people how to not start fires you know leaving cigarettes burning or whatever else the analogies might be <laughs> so that's what we did fraser and i launched in june 2020 it was going to be march 2020 but then Boris decided to lock us all down and we had a bit of a wobble for a few months, but then we decided, look, we're good. if we're gonna launch, we're gonna launch. And we do education with players. We talk to young players from age nine up to first team squads about safe behaviors, particularly online behaviors. I mean, social media has just totally taken over my life. When I started at my old law firm in 2002, there was no Facebook and now look where we are. Um, so we talk a lot about that, but you know, that's expanded to, we talk about healthy relationships we've talked about porn culture which we think is a massive issue and we've started expanding and talking about fraser talks about his struggles he how he had with alcohol when his career was over and actually i forgot to mention his career was over at the age of 28 when he was diagnosed with a heart condition That's so right. yeah he knows how difficult that is you know we've been working with consultants who kind of really know what challenges there are it's a double amputee called sean white who's hit by a drink driver he comes and inspires a hell out of young footballers and talks about gratitude as well he's grateful for what he's got even though he hasn't got his legs incredible guy so it's just kind of building on those skills that i learned as a media lawyer and then bringing in some really great outside people to talk just more holistically about safe behaviors mental health and just you know making some good decisions through your career but then on top of that I still do use my skills as a lawyer. So we do, we do reports for clubs when they're signing new players. And it's not just about, oh, can we find whether they said something stupid on Twitter five years ago. It's, you know, Premier League clubs are bringing in players from abroad who so want to know who, who are mum and dad, who's their partner, what are they interested in, how can we help them, how can we help them settle in England, how fluent is their English, all these kind of things that help the club when they're signing a player. And of course, I still, you know, provide my legal advice, so... You know, newspapers sniffing around a story about a player or a, or a club, but we might not need to start sending threatening legal letters. But you know, what do you think about, about this, that, the other? And I'm, you know, really quite proud. We're, you know, trusted advisors to something like about ten Premier League football clubs and a couple of Championship clubs. One of which you would know well because that's how we met. And uh, you know, we provide that kind of in the background advice, and um, I much prefer that to the scary Friday night. The Sun newspaper is about to ruin someone's life, but I still do do that because it's important. And I think if I stop doing the scary, trying to stop the sun from ruining someone's life, I lose a lot of my stories, but also a lot of my experience and my ability to help and support players and directors at football clubs, etc. So I think in that brief monologue there, you covered so much and your humility, in my opinion, shone through immediately. Um, you, you touched on it briefly, but we came to meet when you gave an inspired talk at Watford uh, when I was there a couple of seasons ago. So inspiring, in fact, I reached out almost immediately after after we met and, and just thanked you for the education. Um, so and I can't tell you how appreciated that was, by the way, Emma. It really means a lot when you get things like that. Thank you. Oh, oh good. No, it was my pleasure. I'm, I'm a big advocate in reaching out when I believe something's good. You know, it's, it's, it's always easy to kind of highlight the negatives and things, but actually when someone does something or says something that actually makes a difference and really catches you in a, in an educational way gosh why wouldn't you you know I think for me I, I know you visit a lot of clubs as you just mentioned and between yourself and Fraser you have such a wealth of knowledge both in a playing and observing and supporting capacity when it comes to younger players again you touched on what are they most susceptible to when it comes to social media 
direct messages. That's my glib answer at the moment. So as I look back when we first started, so the first time I started doing presentations, it was with first team squads in rugby. And, and I have to confess, I absolutely love working in rugby. And we record this the night after the RPA Player of the Year Awards. And there was these amazing images and, and videos of these incredible athletes. And I didn't really recognise anyone because I just don't know. I didn't grow up with the game at all. And I feel a real imposter in that respect. But it was the RPA, an incredible organisation to so much with so little compared to what football's got in the coffers. 2008, they said, we think our players need a little bit of help and support on social media. And we were talking a little bit about Facebook and then Twitter. And when we were looking back at that, you know, there were so many own goals being scored on public social media, overshare on Facebook, and then old tweets being dug up. And it would have been your generation, Emma, that we would quite often be looking at saying to the boys and girls, you know, do a Twitter advanced search. What were you posting when you were 18, 19? Because is that going to come back to haunt you? And there's so many examples of players getting serious bans. I mean, I didn't really mention Lee, Lee Nicol, who we worked with, a, a Crystal Palace women's player who has an incredible story about surviving intimate image abuse. And she does a lot of work with us on that. And Lee did a lot of work with the Premier League Football Club this season, going through the players' old tweets on Twitter advanced search and making some very strong recommendations. I think she probably saved about three players in one particular Premier League team of a three or four game ban for silly things they posted when they were non-league players. But now the generation we're talking to is different. It's the Instagram generation. So you look at a typical eight, under-18s player, male or female, they won't have Twitter. If they've got Facebook, it'll be something they set up when they were nine and they've lost the login details. But it's, they'll have an Instagram page and it will be really typical. We'll have four or five posts max. Every single post will be a picture of them in their training kit. But there's a temptation to look at that and say, oh, okay, so they've become robots now, have they? And no, they haven't. Because the problems will be sometimes they're stories. So you update a story every day and it only lasts 24 hours. And we've seen examples of, in fact, there was a championship player the other day, uploaded a, a story of him doing balloons, you know, nitrous oxide. This was a 31-year-old, by the way, not a kid. So stories can be a problem. But the real problem is direct messages. So you say, and forgive me, because this is, this is quite gender-based. You say to a, um, an under-18s player in a, in a Premier League or Championship uh, Academy squad and just signed pro, he makes a first-team debut, plays in the Capital One Cup match. Is that what it's called now? Yeah, I think it's called that. He gets a blue tick on his Instagram account. That is a very, very dangerous point for an 18-year-old boy. I know because I was one. An 18-year-old boy who has a blue tick, he gets moved to the top every time he likes someone's post, every time he comments on someone's post. That blue tick then puts those to the top. And obviously a big battle we have with the young lads is about how they interact with girls. And obviously, it's really, I'm really passionate about making sure that when we get these messages across, that we are open to the um, possibility that there will be one lad sat in the room. There's a good chance there's one lad sat in the room who's not interested in girls. But that's a much more difficult conversation. A much more difficult in men's football than it is in women's football, for obvious reasons. For sure. But you imagine that situation when you've got an 18-year-old boy with a blue tick, DMs are open. Or worse than that, he's sliding into people's DMs. And it's not—it's not just about sliding into the DMs of girls or you know inappropriate messages that go from there. It's those DMs when he thinks no one is really looking, and he sat there excited, enjoying his relative fame at that point. That's when mistakes get made. And we we talk about three behaviours to the boys and the girls: risk averse, respectful, and defensive. That middle one is the one that means the most to me. 
because when we talk about being risk averse, look, you've got to take risks in life. You and I have taken risks. We've launched our own businesses. That we could have fallen flat on our asses, and you know the rest is history. So we took a calculated risk, but that word calculated is important. So we don't want them to take risks. At the other end, we want them to be defensive, but we want them to be respectful as the, I don't know, it's not the one in the middle, it's actually the one that sits around all of those things. So yes, if someone slides into your DMs, they want something from you. It doesn't mean you are rude to them or tell them to F off. You're respectful in the way that you deal with them. If respect runs through your blood, if it is encapsulated in everything you do online and offline, then you are not going to fall too far wrong. And there are some great role models, particularly in the women's game, but lots in the men's game as well. We can't point to lads like Jordan Henson as a great example. We talk to the lads about the superpower that they've got. It really is. A, I mean, Jack Green is a good example. He gets a lot of things wrong, obviously. He's made a, a lot of mistakes. But the way he utilises his superpower, his superpower is being Jack Grealish. But I think his connection with his disabled sister has given him a lot of, human empathy and the way that he is with members of the public young members of the public disabled members of the public his utilization of the superpower is amazing so if you could kind of i don't know capture some of the risk averse and defensive techniques of some of the more boring players and then put it together with the personality of jack Grealish, you've got the ultimate football player but we talk about the superpower they are not and as you well know super superheroes they're not they're just ordinary boys and girls who've got a talent. And it's really interesting with the women's game and the way that that's going. You think of Leah Williamson, for example, and there's a temptation to look at Leah and think, wow, she's a superhero. And she really does come across as one. She's articulate, she's beautiful, she's athletic, she's, she does good. She, she captains the England team. I mean, extraordinary. But, I mean, to show she's not a superhero, she's also got an ACL that's just, just got. And she will also have moments where she doubts herself. And she would have had lots of moments in her early career where, where those happened. So I guess what we're always trying to do, and I've even forgotten what the question was at the beginning because I always go off on tangents, but we're always trying to get them towards good behaviours, towards those behaviours which put them in the best possible position where something won't go wrong. Because something will go wrong, but it's getting them towards the rest of the behaviour. And if you said to me, do I always abide by risk-averse, respectful and defensive? Well, if you, if you get in a car with me, you'll see the middle one doesn't always. You know, if someone cuts me up, my boy, my 11 year old boy tells me off a lot about the way. In fact, this is a, it is a great thing. So I'm always trying to teach my kids all those lessons, but also trying to help them to understand that dad gets it wrong as, as well. And my son picks me up on a few things. One, if he ever finds me being rude to someone. So if I'm watching the football and I criticize someone, he sometimes pulls me up and he constantly reminds me, I'm a big Gillingham fan. And if I watch normal football with him, when I say normal football, that's not Gillingham. I'm really reasoned and I'll talk to him about, well, look, the referee might have made an error there, but you can see why. And, you know, this this player is a good player, but he's made this mistake. And I'm always trying to get him to be balanced. And then he comes to Priestfield to watch. And there was one occasion where <laughs> a lad on the opposition, I thought, had dived and I shouted cheat at him. And I'm really embarrassed to say this publicly on a podcast, but I didn't realise that this lad was only 17. My son found that out from the programme and every now and then he'll say, do you remember that time you called a 17-year-old a cheat? <laughs> and it's great because it holds me to account. And I did, I got it wrong and I really wish I hadn't done that. And even if that lad was a 35-year-old, I shouldn't have shouted that, but I get lo- I lost, in, lost in the motion. So it's all about getting towards those behaviours. And I think that's, that's a challenge in life. Forget it if you're a footballer, it's a challenge in life, really. 
Yeah, I, I can attest to that. I, I did notice that when I trawled your website ahead of this podcast that one of the words that was used most frequently was risk. And I guess that's a parallel between, you know, how different our jobs are, but how similar they are when it comes to risk. It's all about mitigation and, and kind of finding the best ways to avert crisis, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Look, I mean, we took to the, particularly the lads, but also the girls as well, you know, it's a sad fact of the way that young men are and social media provides a platform for this is we know there'll be lots of lads that will fly into the DMs of about 20 girls just to see what happens. And that's quite a dangerous game. You're not treating those girls like human beings. You're treating them like numbers. And then when they see your blue tick on Instagram, they see you're a football player, they'll respond to that in a certain way, mostly good. But that also means that they might be slightly on notice that you're a footballer. If they're not a good human being, then they might be on notice that you've got some susceptibilities. And we, we, we gave a session, Lee and I gave a session to a, a Premier League under-21s group the other day. And we call it healthy relationships and porn culture because we think there's a massive problem with porn culture across the board. The average age a child sees pornography is 11 nowadays, and that scares living daylights out. It's, it's, it's really scary. We're in a position where we're losing a little bit of human empathy um, because we see avatars and in, Instagram accounts or Tinder or other accounts or whatever else. And we're always trying to get... The, the, both the boys and the girls to think about when you communicate with someone online there's a human being on the other end of it and that human being you need to think about how that human being is motivated now even if you're a sociopath you should do that how's that person motivated so I can get them to respond in the way I want them to but we don't want them to be sociopaths we want them to think what does that human being want from this interaction so how will they respond in certain circumstances so when we talk about you know respect for women in those kind of sessions we want them to think well Things are different for girls and they are going to respond slightly differently to things. They don't necessarily want the same things as I do. And it is a really difficult thing to learn, you know. You learn these things as you mature and, you know, I can think of many men my age have made terrible mistakes in relationships because I haven't really thought about how it impacts people on an empathetic level. But you're asking lads who have got blue ticks and 20,000 followers to... And, and, and there are girls that are prepared to, you know, send them selfies that... People like you and I would rather they wouldn't send. So it kind of sends their messages that, you know, this thing is happening. But, you know, we talked to them about things like Benjamin Mendy. Uh, so show of hands, how many of you boys would like to change places with Benjamin Mendy right now? And the answer to that is none. Now, whether or not he's convicted finally in the summer of what he's accused of, he's ruined his football career by his own behaviour. And that's the message we try and get across to them. We, we don't go in these sessions and come and start talking about what sexual assault is and what rape is because we don't want them to be anywhere near that line. We want them to adopt some behaviours that puts them in a really safe position. And, you know, it's a really important lesson for everybody to learn. If we, we'd love to be a huge company that could go and roll this out in schools, but we're not. There's three of us and, and my wife does all the back office support. So there's four of us and we've got a few consultants and bring some great people in, but we're not a multi-million pound business that can go and scale it. Maybe you will interview me in five years time and I've managed to crack that and we're influencing everybody, but we do our best. I'll, I'll be delighted if you can share your time with me again in five years. Yeah, I won't sniff at that. The first thing that came to mind when you mentioned young, let's say, male players reaching out to, to females or whoever, it was my, my first thought was playing the odds. You know, it's cast a wide net and see what comes back. And you, you touched on age there, but I know, and I won't say too much about it, but in recent times, I know of a, a female WSL player. That's the top league in England. And I know of huge international stars that have reached out to said player 
in kind of flirtatious and borderline inappropriate way and and these people have been on the block for uh, for years you know and, and you just think so i i love your approach because it's preventative rather than reactive you know after the horse has bolted you know you obviously have skills in that area too but it's much easier to kind of fan the flames and, and put you know a, a kind of small burnout rather than actually douse a huge house fire as you mentioned well, at the risk of flipping the podcast in its head, it, I find it very interesting because obviously there's a there's a huge percentage of same-sex relationships in the women's game. Now, that element of, you know, flying into a, a fellow professional's DMs in a flirtatious way, not only does it impact... So, uh, you know, a lot of these boys' reactions will be, like, I'll fly into 20 girls' DMs and see where it goes, but I can almost walk away from it. You can't walk away from that. If you're playing the WSL, WSL Championship, and all of a sudden you're up against a, a, a teammate... I, it's difficult for me as a heterosexual male to kind of work out the politics of that and how it works. And I'm not going to ask you to commit too much because I really be, will be um, uh, testing your ability to hide the identity of people. But the analogy I'd kind of use is um, as a heterosexual male, is like, imagine taking a team of five heterosexual males and five heterosexual females and putting them all in the same team. It would be carnage. So I actually, I've, I greatly admire the way the women's... I mean, it's such an inclusive environment. And the way that, and I'm sure there are loads of horror stories about relationships going bad within teams. So I'm not going to ask you to commit to that, but I greatly admire how it's become such an, such an inclusive environment. And I imagine there are a lot of gay female football players because it is such a welcoming environment. So if you're a young girl and, and you're, you know, you think I am gay, well, why would you not go to a football club? Because it's a place that will embrace you. It's, it's interesting, like growing up, and I'm a couple of generations out from the current teams that are, that are about now, or the, the current, the, let's say the average of players, and I must say it was almost, it was kind of, how do I put it, it was almost a safe haven for a lot of players that were growing up that were actually questioning their sexuality and didn't actually know too many people, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a kind of an in-house joke and, and it's like, um, you know, gay people or, or let's say... Um, gay women in or lesbians in in football you know that's kind of initially that you could it was few and far between but actually moving down the line it was almost like vampires you know it was, you come out in the night and stuff but now it's, it's much more inclusive and gosh I, I can say there are a lot of things that I love and and uh, you know equally abhor about women's football but one of the things that I am proud to be a part of in the women's game is is that it is so inclusive and it doesn't discriminate in such a way. And, you, you know, I, I don't want to kind of wax lyrical about football because you and I could be here until the cows come home, I've no doubt. But yeah, I, I, just, I, I just think it's so fascinating that as a heterosexual male, that's something that you've picked up on too. Mm. Well, I've been lucky to have met so many girls in the women's game from, from work, working with Lee, who's, who's one of the exceptions. She's a heterosexual woman playing in women's football. And I remember one of the first episodes we had on the podcast, which I know we may mention, was Natasha Dowie, who, who's married to one of her her, her former teammates. And um, yeah, so look, I had a, had a meeting with the PFA the other day, a really wonderful woman called Simone Pound there, who does all their EDI work. And Simone's fantastic. And we talked about inclusivity in the game and in life in general and, and, and the point that I made to Simone because she knows so much and she's such a great wealth of experience on this stuff is you only you only learn this stuff by experiencing it and being alongside these people and um, you know you kind of all you really need to look at is kind of what the main areas that voted for Brexit and have so many problems with kind of far right parties where they're, they're very white areas of the country well, why is that? Because they don't live next door to black and, and brown people, Asian people, Muslims etc so therefore they fear them and I think once we 
spend time with people, we learn and understand their issues, then um, we become better people as a result. And that is why I'm so lucky to do what I do, because to know, to meet Lee, to be able to call her a friend and a colleague, I'm so proud of her, um, to be able to work with Sean White, to understand the issues that people who are amputees have got, you know, just, just, just one thing is, seems like not such an obvious thing to, for me to say now. If you ever see someone walking around on prosthetic legs, look at their physique, they will be an athlete. It's not an easy thing to do. And I always think there's a clip that we show when, when Sean presents to football um, players. We show a clip from Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan comes in to Forrest's wedding on his prosthetic legs and Forrest says, and I won't do the accent, Lieutenant Dan, you've got magic legs. And that's what we see when we see prosthetic legs, magic legs. They're not magic legs. So the amount Sean has to work to even make those work. The fact that he can run marathons in them is just extraordinary. And then, and then I've been lucky enough, I've, you know, there's a guy called David Clark who we had on our podcast and we do some work with David. He, he had glaucoma since birth and um, has been blind since, I don't know, about age three months and he's never really had sight. And he doesn't want sight because he's lived his entire life without sight. He went on to score more goals for England than Wayne Rooney and he's the chief executive of Paralympics GB. He's the only blind CEO that runs a company or organisation that's not for blind people. And I look at him and think, how on earth can you do that? But what I also learn from him, because I go for a beer with him every couple of months and go and watch the Auburn City play with him, is the things that we can do to make people like him have an easier life. Which is why e-scooters are the devil, because people get these e-scooters and leave them on the pavement. Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary. Blind people can't get around them and trip over them. So just my philosophy on life, and certainly has been since launching B5, is just throw yourself into situations, meet people that you would never have met before. And there are so many people like that that I've been had the absolute honour and privilege to meet. I'm, I'm a really lucky bloke. Talking about the um, humanity of you there, you, I mean, you, again, no surprises, just, just how lovely and open you are. We've been in contact very recently about your Football Journeys podcast and you kindly invited me to share something that's incredibly close to our hearts but probably closer to our ears. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about your hearing loss story? Yeah, of course. It's, um, so my hearing loss is hereditary um, and I find it really humbling hearing other people's hearing loss stories because um, everyone I hear, including yours, sounds kind of more traumatic than mine, so I feel a bit of an imposter. I mean, the, the car accident you were a victim of was, was awful, and I, so I could tell there was an element in it when I was clear that you actually played it down. I think it was a pretty horrific accident you're involved in. So, my mum has pretty bad hearing loss. She's now at a stage where, when her hearing aids break, which is relatively regularly, she's, she's helpless. I was going to say hopeless. My mum's never hopeless. She's incredible. And her dad, my granddad, also had hearing loss. So I imagine at least one of my children is going to have some form of hearing loss. I've got a prediction as to which one it is, but I'm not going to say that out loud. I can't remember when it's when I started to experience it, actually. I, I, I genuinely can't tell you whether I was 18 or 30. I really can't remember. And that's weird that I can't remember that but it's been a feature for a long long time it's been my, my my life it's been a bit of a running joke and I don't mind a bit of humor even when someone's got a weakness I remember when my my other granddad had dementia and we, we had lots of fun with it I mean the fact that he and I, I really go off track I'm sorry but I remember being in the care home that granddad was in and um, I was sat with my brother and my dad and, and my granddad and the nurse came in and my granddad looked to the nurse and He's such a lovely fellow, my old granddad. And he said, oh, have you met my cousins? And uh, she said, no, no, I've not. He said, these are my, these are my cousins. He said, uh, we were in the water together, you know. 
<laughs> and there was something so lovely about that. And we laughed. Uh, but there was something so lovely about that was we weren't his cousins. We were his grandsons and his son. We weren't in the war together. But what he really meant was these are people that I love. Yeah. And I think that was such a lovely occasion. And that is me moving off track. Because what I wanted to say is... Um, we make jokes in my house. Um, we've always made jokes and we used to make jokes. Um, sometimes maybe we did cross the line on what we should have done, jokes at my mum's expense. But what I think is really important is that we're never afraid to talk about stuff. And I think jokes are okay as long as they're inclusive. And I think Grandad was included in, I mean, obviously he didn't understand he had dementia, but we laughed in a very affectionate and emotional and loving manner. And, and I sometimes make jokes about my lack of hearing. But there were times when it was really debilitating and that really came from my own un unwillingness to embrace my lack of hearing. So there was a time when I didn't have hearing aids and I used to avoid social situations. I My wife used to get really frustrated with me because she knows that I can be fun, I think, and I would avoid sort of her friends and our friends and uh, when I'd go and pick my kids up in the playground at school when they were younger and I didn't have hearing aids, I would skulk away in the background, I didn't want to talk to anyone because I just didn't think I'd hear what they'd said and I would have to guess and there's a rule that I have is unless it's your family, there's only so many times you can ask someone to repeat themselves and I think it's two. I think three is basically telling this person that they can't speak but that's not the case, that's me with a problem but I just couldn't find myself, couldn't find the strength to ask someone over and over again or talk about my, my, my poor hearing. I remember a time my mum left a shop in Scotland. I really struggle with accents, strong accents that I don't recognise. And I remember we were on holiday in Scotland and my mum walked out crying her eyes out of a shop. Like, what's happened? What's happened? And she basically she'd asked a Scottish bloke to repeat himself more than three, more than two times. Uh -huh. And she, she just left the shop out of sheer embarrassment. And so the fact that I'd experienced that with my mum embarrasses me that it took me that long to get hearing aids. But... One of the reasons is vanity. It was interesting when we spoke last, I couldn't see your hearing aid, but that's, I was going to say this would be an incredibly uh, stringent way of looking at things. Because you're a woman, you can have long hair and cover your hair. <laughs> um, I haven't got long hair. In fact, my dad has got long hair. And um, I mean, he's in his 60s, he's got long hair. They really need sorting out, but anyway. But I've got short hair, so if I had an over the ear, you'd see it. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a perception of, of people with hearing difficulties sometimes. We see a hearing aid, and I said this to Claire Stancliffe, who's a captain of the England Deaf Women's Team, that people see a hearing aid, particularly a, a large one, and think, oh, there's something wrong with you. And I'm really ashamed to say this, but I thought I didn't want people looking at me and my hearing and saying, oh, there's something wrong with him. Um, so I didn't get hearing aids for a long, long time. And then I finally did, and it changed my life. Um, yeah. And that and that moment, I, I mentioned it to, we spoke to an incredible, lad called Jack Rutter on our podcast and I, I talked about a story when I was at Chelsea and experiencing some hospitality there and, and I asked a, a, a wait, waitress who had asked me how I was, I'd asked her for two drinks because I guessed that was what she asked me and I was and I'm a really big believer in this one thing when we talk to the young footballers about respect um, online and offline when you go into a hotel or restaurant and the person asks you how you are ask them how they are because it would be really nice for them and actually be really nice for you as well. So I'm a big believer in people who are in the university commas serving you. Now they're only doing that because it's a, it's a job. They are not beneath you. They are not there to serve you. They're another human being. You must be nice to them. So 
that moment totally went against all of the narrative that I provided for my own life, which is, you know, to treat people with respect no matter what level they're at. And I always, we regularly go to McDonald's once a week after my boys' cricket practice, we go to McDonald's. And we, we justify it because my, 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 my old mate Ben, who I was actually at that Chelsea game with, works at McDonald's. He's, um, he works in marketing at McDonald's. So we always say we're helping Uncle Ben when we go to McDonald's. But the real reason is I bloody love McDonald's. Who doesn't? It, well, I think you're mad if you don't, but there we go. Mad or a snob. But we talked to the young kids that work there. And I would say to my son, I said, you'd be lucky if you work at McDonald's. Now, there might be some people who've got other ethical issues with McDonald's, et cetera, et cetera, but I know that Ben will tell anyone that listen, they're good to their employees and they do lots of ethical stuff. And, but I'll tell you what McDonald's does teach you. It teaches you hard work. It teaches you teamwork. It teaches you all those things that we need in life. And, and I think all young people should do a job like that in their younger years. And I, and I did, and it, it taught me a lot. What's that got to do with my hearing loss? Nothing. Sorry, I always go off in tangents. You're so fine. You're so fine. <laughs> but, my, but my hearing loss is, and once I got hearing aids, that was the thing that I really want to get across. If it's anyone listening to this podcast that suffers from hearing loss, go to an audiologist. I went to Specsavers. I found out the other day Costco does hearing aids. There are affordable versions of it. I know you went to the NHS and you had a great experience at the NHS. That's right. Go and see an audiologist because it, it, it revolutionised my social life. It revolutionised my... my in my professional life, I give presentations to young footballers. They're not known for being articulate. And I had situations when I was hard of hearing. I mentioned accents. So I do I do work for clubs like Chelsea and Liverpool, Manchester City. They have boys from all over, all over England and all over the world. And I will do a session and I start getting interactive and ask them to pop up. And they don't want to pop up because they're footballers and they're, room, they're in a macho room and they don't want to embarrass themselves. So one of them will go... And, and I know that this is, this is not a video for my head's going all over the place. This is me, I'm looking all over, I'm scanning the room. And I want to say, who the F said that? Who said that? And I can't even see who said it, let alone what they're saying. And then, pre-hearing aids, I was so embarrassed by my lack of hearing, I, was, I would end up guessing a lot. And Fraser had a couple of moments where he knew that I'd missed something and he would chuckle afterwards. And, I don't, and as I said, I don't mind the humour about laughing about it. He said, you do realise that lad said this to you and your response was this. Oh, God. And then I got hearing aids. And it was two things. One, it improved my hearing. But it's not perfect, by the way. No. But two, it, it was a tool. It was a tool that I could... Quite often I'll, I'll yank them, because they're tiny little ones, they're in-ear ones. And I'll yank them out of my ears and, and wave them. And it's almost as if to say, look, I told you. I am. I am. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a genuine thing. And I think people acknowledge it more at that stage. Because I think the approach people would have is, well, you can't be that hard of hearing because you're not wearing hearing aids. And to be fair, they've got a point. So yeah. it's not what I should have done a long time ago. And the an- analogy I sometimes use, though, is if your eyesight was poor, you could buy glasses in a minute because I've got a pair of blue lens glasses and I put them on the other day and my wife said I look hot in them. So like, wow, over the moon. But no one said, I mean, she was just trying to big up my ego, but no one actually says that about hearing aids. Um, you know, there's no one that wears hearing aids that don't do anything because they look cool. But people do yeah. that, you know, clear lens glasses. People do that just to look, cool and people don't do that with hearing aids and that's a shame well there's a business idea isn't it um, yeah absolutely cool hearing aids, hearing aids. Yeah, okay. well it could be i mean like you you've got some quite interesting earrings so that could interest him sound like an old man there but you could maybe factor that in couldn't you You could kind of like do up the ear there yeah there's a business idea there we just hatched it 
Yeah, so for anyone that doesn't know me well enough, I have the stretchers in my ears, silicone ones at the moment, and yeah, I think that's what Matt's alluding to. <laughs> I want to mention this because you were one of the first people I've met that I would say, an air quote, like me when it came to hearing loss. You're obviously familiar with people with cochlear implants and, you know, they're very visible and you can, you know, I, I, rightly or wrongly, my mind goes, okay, these, this person here with a cochlear implant has severe hearing impediment. But I'd never kind of met people that were of a younger age and in and around the kind of communities I'm a part of that had hearing aids. So when you posted your interview with Jack Rutter on LinkedIn, I believe it was, I honestly was, it was really kind of taken aback. And I, again, it's, I can attest to all the things you've said there, all the examples you've said, and um, my hearing loss impacts me in a way where I am unlikely to hear the first consonant of a word. So I tend to, and it's something that I've probably done for over a decade now, but not really paid too much attention to. But I hone in on someone's mouth to read what they're kind of saying. Um, if someone's facing away, and we spoke about this on your podcast, but if someone has a face mask on, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pissing in the wind. I have no idea. And I'm, again, with you there, I, I don't think you can really ask someone more than twice unless their friends, family, or someone that's very au fait with your hearing situation. When we spoke in the podcast, and I can say this because your podcast will come out before mine, um, <laughs> to use your eloquent terms, you loosely separate the conversation with hearing loss into three categories. So you've got people that have severe hearing loss, so people with cochlear implants, for example. You have people that have mild to moderate, which you kind of framed as us. So people that have hearing aids and, and kind of working around that kind of remit. And allies. I know you'll be very, um, very humble about this, but you've done a great deal in recent times with the England deaf team to make sure they can get to the World Cup later this year. Can you share a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, of course. Again, this, this all goes to my, my, my good fortune and the, the, the real privilege I've got to run B5. It opens so many doors. So we interviewed Jack, probably should, the starting point should be with Jack Rutter because it was thanks to Jack it all came about and it just spiraled from there. So Jack was a, a, an academy footballer at Birmingham City. I think he'd signed a pro contract. So he was on his way towards a career in professional football at whatever level. And he was living the dream, as he said. And he was out celebrating. They had qualified for the FA Youth Cup semi-final, which is a big achievement. Birmingham's not one of the, the biggest academy. They've got a decent heritage. They brought Jude Bellingham through, so they must be doing something right. And they were due to play Liverpool in that semi-final. Huge occasion for them. And he was out celebrating his hometown of Gloucester. And there was he was outside a nightclub. I think there'd been some kind of to-do about a girl. And relationships and things like that quite often, you know, because men and testosterone relationships are quite often the, the cause of arguments. And um, some lad ran up behind him and punched him in the head, knocked him to the floor. Mm-hmm. And he suffered neurological damage and his football career was over. Now, the main thing that people talk about with that, and then rightly so, is how he recovered incredibly from that. He went on to be a cerebral palsy footballer because he qualified for his neurological damage. And he, and he played non-league football, and he's an absolute inspiration. He, he does lots of talks in schools, and he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And um, But the one thing people don't ask him about was his hearing loss. He's deaf in one ear as a result of it. And um, I just sort of jumped on the opportunity to chat about it. And... And Fraser said to me, Fraser's spoken about a lot of things that matter to him. So his heart condition, he's been able to share lots of stories. His struggles with alcohol after he finished playing. He's two years clean. He's an ambassador for alcohol change. And he's met some incredible people through that. And it was that one, I guess that was my equivalent was hearing loss because it's some, been a constant struggle. So the ability to talk to someone so inspirational like Jack and tell him some of my stories, it just fired something in me. And I, I clipped that and 
and you were not the only one, but yours was a wonderful message that I got. I got messages from people like you, which was so wonderful and inspirational. And and then I had a message from a girl called Kira Toll. I say girl, I'm trying to keep us all young. Kira's a similar age to you, she's in her 30s. And Kira is, she has profound hearing loss. Uh, she qualifies for the England Deaf team. You and I don't. You might actually be good enough to play for the England Deaf team. I'm not anyway. And... Um, she works kind of within sport and she plays not only for England at football, but she plays for England at cricket as well. Incredible. And so she's an incredible athlete. And she said, um, I'd love to just catch up. And she, she, she works for Loughborough College and they do the DICE programme, which is oh, something in sport and excellence, diploma in sport and excellence. Right. So we just thought it would be a good connection to make. So I did what I did just before the call. I looked through a LinkedIn page and one of the things that popped up there is the England team are going to the World Cup in Malaysia, but actually they might not be because they haven't got any funding and they need to raise 50,000 because it costs a lot of money to get a football team over to a World Cup in Malaysia and pay for kit, pay for travel, pay for hotels, pay okay. for everything else. And so I became quite animated on the call about this. The England men's team were being funded to go to Malaysia, but not the women's team. And for me, that seemed like an obvious injustice. Like I don't know the politics behind it. And I want, um, so I, I don't want to be criticising the FA, but it did seem strange that they'd made that decision, I'll put that politely. And I just saw it as an opportunity for me to learn more and to use some of my influence. I'm, I'm really lucky to, to have worked with lots of incredible and quite famous and quite wealthy and influential football players. And one I'm really proud to say I've worked with for years is, is Stephen Gerrard. And I think Stephen's an incredible guy, incredible human being, incredible football player. And Claire Stancliffe, who's another England player, she's really driving the funding. Kira introduced me to her. She's a Liverpool fan and Stephen's a hero. So I thought, well, look, I'll just drop him a WhatsApp and say, you've got a big Instagram following. Would you put this on your Instagram stories? And I thought, you know, a few people click on that, they'll get a few quid. And Stephen's response was, how much are they trying to raise? And I said, £50,000. Now, luckily, by this point, Gary Neville, who Claire knows, had given £5,000 to the fund. So Stephen obviously saw that and thought, well, I'm not having a Man United player get one over on me. And he came back to me and said, yeah, I'll put it on my Instagram stories, but why don't I give you five grand? I'll match Gary Neville and, and then I'll put it on my Instagram stories. And he did exactly that. And from then, and I can't claim credit for this, Gary Lineker has, has contributed and promoted it. There's a Love Island, and this is not good podcasting if I can't remember her name, but there's Natasha. a girl who's on Love Yes, Guri. Yeah. Yes, that's good. Yeah. I didn't know her story, and uh, Liam Fraser laugh at this. So I, I reality TV is not my thing, and I've um, I've got quite a pathological dislike to things like that. <laughs> but I know it's important. Uh, it is important. Love Island's huge, so therefore people who go on Love Island have got a big influence. And I think it's one of the things that the producers of Love Island have done quite well in recent years. They have started to. One thing they've done badly is they haven't introduced anyone who's got a normal body male or female but the one thing they've done well is they have introduced some characters who have had different life challenges and one of those was was her which I, I wasn't aware of but I think that's really important but it's it's really helped me to to learn more about some of the more profound challenges of deafness it's enabled me to feel good about myself that I've helped the girls to get closer towards their target okay. at the time of recording there are 32,000 I think they'll get to 50,000 if anyone's listening to this and it's released before the end of June, search for GB Deaf Football on social media and you'll find the fundraising page. Give them a fiver if you can, give them more if you can. can. And actually sponsorship opportunities, if you run a business, there are sponsorship opportunities. I need to get that in. Good plug. Thank you. 
and actually and then it, it's the whole thing has resulted in me just trying to understand more about hearing loss about deafness about partial deafness and, and more that I can do in that space to help and to learn and and it's it's obviously a community that's that I I hadn't really experienced but it's important to me it's, it's important to people like me and you when you and I are my mum's age we, I, I, my prediction is we will be as deaf as my mum and, and my mum doesn't know sign language and I don't think she'll learn it and I don't think I will either but when her hearing aids die she's she's quite lost so I worry about what she'll be like when she's 80 she's the most capable woman I know mm-hmm. she had my brother when she was 16 and had no qualifications whatsoever and she ended up becoming a bank manager so she is my absolute inspiration love my dad as well by the way shout out to Big Rich <laughs> but yeah so so you know kind of how it impacts us how it impacts our family it's really important to us and I've learned so much more and, and one, one of the one little trigger which then didn't end up coming to, to more is my family really loves Strictly Come Dancing so there I am slagging off reality TV but when it suits me I'll watch it and when Rose Ailing Ellis was on it and I never realised this until I researched it recently. She's from the town next to me. She's from a little town called Hyde. So she, so it's the same district, folks in the Hive. When she was on Strictly Come Dancing, I, I cry a bit on the podcast. I do like a cry. My dad cries loads and I'll get that from him. But Rose did this dance, on the couple's choice dance, I think it's called. And um, she performed this dance. And there's one moment in the dance where the music goes off. And... I shall feel emotion telling you about now. Yeah, there's a few things that made me feel emotion. I think it was my story about my granddad into dementia started to get me. God, when the music goes off, and because I, like, I felt my own feelings about mm. my hearing only goes really bad when things happen. So I've had a flu or I've been on a flight or whatever else. Yeah. But when those moments happen, it starts. So that looks to me like a little eye on on the future because I know I'm going to be like mum, and I know, I I know those things. Are, there's been moments when mum's stayed over and she takes hearing aids out just before she goes to bed. Like if we if, if we have a fire in the house or they have a fire in the house, good luck. Well, good luck it if that's not it. Thinking about does it? Yeah. So it was it. That was really emotional. And she's an amazing advocate. She's fantastic. I'm absolutely in love with her. I think she's absolutely brilliant. And um and people talk about, you know, people talk about deafness as a result of it. And we need we need more role models like her because there haven't been many of them. And fair play to Love Island for for Tash. We need more like that. We we need it. We need it in everything. And I don't know whether this will come out before or after your podcast, but we've, we've got um, a guy called Martin Sinclair coming up on the podcast. His, his brother, Scott, is more famous than him. He played for Chelsea and Celtic and a number of other clubs. But I know Scott would say this, Martin deserves to be more famous because Martin has cerebral palsy. And he played in the Paralympics in 2012 when his brother was in the Olympics, the only brothers to ever do that. And Martin is amazing. And I can't think, well, no, I can think. We've got Rosie Jones. And, oh, there's the other amazing stand-up comedian who, she used to be in Grange Hill when, when I was younger. And I can't remember her name. She's got an Italian... time, that, Matt, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's all right. You have to get that one in. She's got an Italian name, but she's amazing as well. So, actually, I'm wrong. There are cerebral palsy or, or those kind of challenge role models out there. Rosie Jones is so important. Just, just hearing these voices, seeing these people... If you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm. You know, when you see... If I had a condition like Rosie's got, and I saw... I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian when I was a kid, and I wasn't brave enough to do it, and I regret that. So I just tell jokes to footballers instead. But if I had had a challenge like Rosie had, and she didn't exist, I definitely wouldn't have done it. So, you know, whether you're blind, cerebral palsy, deaf, 
let's get more of these people on our screens. And all these anti-woke idiots will say, oh, it's gone too far. The Ellie Simmons was another one. I'm fascinated by how people with dwarfism cope with the way that they get treated. I watched Eurovision the other night and I can't remember which Eastern European country it was, but one of them had a guy with dwarfism playing the flute. And I felt a bit uncomfortable because I thought, I doubt he's a talented flautist. I think they got him because he was a dwarf and they thought that that would look funny I think gimmicky but, essentially but I'm not yeah I might be wrong by the way and it may well and maybe that was a good example of in- inclusion but I kind of lo- I long for the day and it, it is starting to happen where you'll have an actor in a television programme who has a condition like dwarfism and that's just by the by the point of their character is not that they have dwarfism or they're in a wheelchair or whatever else the point is that they're just another part. And actually, I'll just keep going on about the podcast. We've got another one we just released, Peter Mitchell, who is in a wheelchair after a, a car crash. And he was a, a character in Hollyoaks for a year. And fair play to Hollyoaks. Again, the point was not that he was in a wheelchair. My understanding is he was a bit of a nasty piece of work, which uh, Peter isn't, but his character was. So there we go. Good differentiation. Yeah, it's, yes. you, you've mentioned so many interesting things there. I am actually familiar with Martin Sinclair's story vaguely. I've read about that, I think, really, probably about the time the Olympics were around. I think it was um, featured in the newspaper that I might have read. Um, oh, he's incredible. I love just a wonderful young young man. I keep calling people who don't consider themselves young, young, because it's just to keep myself young. If I call mine young, then that keeps me young. No, you, you've mentioned I'm in my 30s, but everyone else is young, so I don't know. Um, it's one of the things you touched on there was wokeism and that wasn't something I wanted to kind of factor into the podcast but gosh I will gladly do so I actually watched something the other day with Kathy Burke and she said essentially I'm, I'm gonna butcher this but it was essentially aimed at people that that you know and if you kind of speak up against any injustice you're woke and she said be woke she said why would you not choose to speak up you know and, and be inclusive of things why, why do you think it's okay to just sit by the by and, and kind of live stereotypical judgmental lives like be woke yeah. and I think it's so important it's gosh I hate the terms personally snowflake and woke and I just think you know you've touched on it it's been actually a bit of a theme in this podcast about growth and you know you might be an adult but with your kid for example taking that anecdote he, he will kind of correct you and say actually dad I'm not sure you spoke well of him and, and I think it's healthy to remember that actually there is no age where you become a fully affirmed adult with all the rationale and reasoning that you would like to have that's just not a thing um, and I think all you can do and all you can attest to do is be respectful and all the other good things you mentioned and actually just live your life in a way where you you are honest and you you know my mum will say you know if you can look yourself in the mirror comfortably you've done a good you know you've had a good day and and that's kind of something that I like to live by you know I'm not always going to get it right but the same token I can say my intentions are honest and, and that's important but, we should um, always forgive people for getting it wrong, you know. I yeah, know. I think I think of my. I, I mentioned my granddad with dementia. I can I can think he was one of the kindest and most open men. And um, and when he met people with differences, he was open to them. But he didn't meet many people with differences. The only time he ever, he went abroad once in his life as a young man, and that was to to fight in the Second World War. And then the only other times he went abroad was to go back to the places he fought to commemorate what happened. So he had a pretty sheltered life as most people did back then. And I can think of some of the words that he used, but you can forgive him all of those because it just comes from a position of ignorance, not deliberate ignorance, yeah, yeah. but ignorance. And you know, the older generation, even older than, than, than me, can be forgiven for using the wrong words, as long as they're open 
to, to learn and I, unfortunately there is a movement of people who are not open to learn and talk about snowflakes and wokeism and David Clark when we had him on the podcast said wokeism it's just being just being nice it's just being yeah. considerate and uh, if that's woke then I'm woke, woke and that's yeah fair enough yeah very good I am um, you, you've touched on it there and you know I'm glad you made it back from the war in one piece you know I know your, your granddad mentioned about it good to see you here <laughs> on the podcast I'm going to test your emotional spectrum further and I hope this is going to catch you off guard not in a not in a bad way but when we spoke in a, you know last week you very kindly called me a very, a very positive word I won't share it but to return and rightfully return the nod you know not tokenism I feel you're a very affable and charismatic person with kind compassionate intentions that is my honest opinion from our brief interactions and because I believe in justice I asked someone who knows you a little better to give you give an honest appraisal of you oh god so I checked in with Lee Nicholl <laughs> oh no and this is a direct quote which I'm allowed to share says Matt is literally the most empath- uh, empathic hard-working honest and reliable human beings I've ever met he's such an incredible ally to women women's sport and those at a disadvantage he feels other people's pains like no one else he's so wonderful and he's changed my life so yes not, not designed to uh, catch you off guard but <laughs> say, it works. I think she took some uh, I think she took some pleasure in it but she did say it might make you emotional um, but <laughs> it my does. question's my question to you, Matt, is why are you such an advocate for supporting, empowering and educating people, which I know you do heavily and extensively with B5? What underpins your incredibly kind-hearted nature? Selfishness. It makes me feel good. Uh, all human beings are selfish. Uh, why, why does anyone do anything? Because of how it impacts them. If I do something nice, it makes me feel amazing. Um, this, like supporting the England Deaf Women's Team, it makes me feel amazing. To, I also got a really, um, really strong sense of injustice. So, um, what happened to Lee? For those of you listeners that don't know, she had her iCloud hacked when she was twenty three, and the 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 criminals that hacked her iCloud found a video of her having having sex with a partner, which she had filmed when she was eighteen, a child, um, in my eyes anyway. And they leaked that online. It changed her life forever. And I think that is the worst thing that can happen to anyone on the internet. So how she recovered from that was extraordinary. And the reason that I ended up working with her is because I'd, I'd acted for a number of female celebrities who it happened to. And it goes back to what I said right at the beginning, actually. I don't really care about those women's reputation only in as much as I care for how much it impacts them because I know it was the most awful, awful thing that could ever have happened to them. It drove, drove them to the brink of the most unspeakable things and it did to Lee. So when Lee was brave enough to tell her story, I listened to the podcast she, she did and everything she was saying just resonated with me. So Lee and I help out other women that's happened to, and, and men as well, by the way. Men get shamed for masturbating, women get shamed for having sex, and that's not new, but it's, it's very particular to the social media world. So we've helped out lots of young boys who've been caught out on sextortion scams. So someone's convinced them to get their willy out online and then that gets leaked online. So here, here is something shameful, a man masturbating. Whereas women get shamed for having sex. So the idea that a woman should enjoy the act of making love, or whatever you call it, that's shameful. No one points at the man that's having sex with the woman if right. it's a heterosexual and, and says, oh, look at the state of him. Can you, can you believe what it's in? It's always, why was she stupid enough to do that? That level of injustice. And I, I become a, a little bit disloyal to my gender when I see these things, when, when Lee and I help out these... We're helping out a number of other female athletes and male athletes at the moment. 
I see the way that humans treat other humans and it shocks me. It absolutely shocks me. And we've got a real, I've got a real drive to try to seek justice. There, there is a really dark underworld on the internet which targets sexual abuse of women. And they're all, these people that use these websites are criminals. There are websites that are dedicated to non-consensual sharing of images and videos. They're positively targeting female athletes particularly, because mm-hmm. female, and I say this in the right way, female athletes have, have different bodies, so therefore there is a sexual fascination from these creeps. But also, female athletes are powerful. They're stronger than a lot of men. And I deliberately use that as well, by the way, because the kind of anti-woke brigade will say, well, women's football's not as good as men. Well. You girls aren't as big and strong as quick as the as the male footballers, but but you are a lot of you girls bigger and stronger and fitter than normal men, and they find that very difficult to deal with. So therefore, the idea of taking this big strong woman, whose sisters doing it for themselves and all that, and then being able to reduce them to the shame and humiliation of intimate image abuse, there is they've all got a sex offenders mentality. So I'm really really passionate about seeking justice, and one of the most favourite parts of my job, and I should give a shout out to the law firm I consult with. Chris Scott runs this incredible law firm called Slateford, and he has a, a young female solicitor that works for him called Jess Alden, uh, who's the same age as Lee, and she is effectively Lee's lawyer, working with an investigations company who give their work for free called Sport Radar to track down as many men as we can, and they're all men, unfortunately, who have uploaded Lee's uh, images to social media, to these websites, and we've been able to track many of them down. Lee had a Zoom conversation with one of those men, and to his credit, he apologised for what he had done. We are still in the process of potentially taking legal proceedings against some of these guys. Uh-huh. And that sense of injustice and that sense of seeking a little bit of justice, not and it isn't for Lee, actually. We, me, Lee, me, and Jess and Chris are doing it for victims of abuse. That makes me feel really bloody good. So I do it for myself. It's totally selfish. I think you're, um, again, that's, that response is testament to your character, I would say. Yes, I, I agree with what you're saying in theory, but I know people, like, let's take women's football, for example. I know people that will choose, and, and I, I would say that I'm very akin to yourself there in having a real strong sense of fairness and justice. So, you know, in women's football, I won't kind of get into the crux of it, but to see people that will happily not do the right thing in order to further their career, that's something where, you know, myself and others that I know and I'm very fortunate to be friends with are, will draw the line, you know, and, and yes, there is selfishness in that in a different way, but actually I think, gosh, when, when you kind of put it so articulately, why would you not give your time and dedicate to, to the right courses to, to actually support people and, and do the right thing in the world? And I think that's so important. And actually, I think it's something that's really undervalued and yeah, you're, again, I've mentioned your humility, but you, you've really played it down because I think actually people like yourselves that will go on and fight for people you know less fortunate or with the odds stacked against them are few and far between Uh, yeah I think it's real testament to your character Matt and and you're you're being humble to to be kind gosh you'll be very humble well but I just um go on sorry sorry I just wanted to um, thank you so much that that means a lot for you to say that I wanted to make one point about being a dick and I hope I'm allowed to use that word if you are if you go through life being a dick then you will get more than you deserve. And I think sometimes there's a danger. We look at people who are dicks who cheat at work or, or whatever else, push into queues in traffic and all the things that dicks do and they'll get away with it. And it's really frustrating. And there's a real temptation to look at people being a dick and think, 
well, they're getting more than they deserve, so I should do that because I want to get more than I deserve. But I tell you what, although you get more than you deserve, you get less than someone who doesn't act like a dick. Because if you go through your life treating people kindly and with fairness, that will always get remembered. So for all the mistakes that I've made in life, every single recovery has been saved by the fact that I've treated people well throughout my life and my career. And the amount of support that I had when we, when we launched B5, when I launched the law firm, which is now, which I sold to Chris, which is now Slateford, I had so much support from clients, from former colleagues. And that's because I went through my entire life doing the right thing by people. So, yeah. I mean, I would say to any young person um, starting out in their life and their career, just be good to people, because I'll tell you what, it will come around. Yeah, I, gosh, and, I, and that's what you've just kind of summarised so well and succinctly is, is exactly how I felt at times. You know, it's you see people succeed. Let's say, like, continue on with the football analogy. People succeed and do so well for being a dick, you know, and for not doing the right thing. And I think sometimes I've, I found that hard to swallow and it's, you know, I, I'm being really frank and honest. It's kind of cajoled a sense of bitterness in me at times because I just think, you know, I don't find it, I don't find it a chore to be a good person. I want to be a good person. I want to do the right thing. And whether or not I get it right, you know, as I said earlier on, I, I believe I have the best of intentions. You know, I don't ever go out to harm people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it, it's honestly something that I've had to work through and I don't mind sharing that I've, I see a therapist and I've, I've seen a therapist for four years now. And again, it's it's been so cathartic to, to, to kind of talk that element through and just, you know, it's almost you know with, with therapy it's almost you're kind of talking to yourself in a way but it's been cathartic to kind of get that out in the open and just say actually for all you know the you know arguably I could have had a different career had I chosen different paths paths that wouldn't have been true to me but at the same token would I want to be that person no like I wouldn't no. change and, and and that's just something I've had to come to terms with so I think you've made a super interesting point and one I could kind of definitely do a death to well, um, look into Stoicism. It's a kind of ancient philosophy, and it's about and and mo- all the major religions have stuff like this. It's um, letting go of things that you can't control, but you know, making the changes on things that you can make changes on, and just letting go of injustices. You know, the fact that someone treated you poorly and it impacted you poorly, it's gone. Just let that go. Just move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and focus on focus on gratitudes because yeah. yesterday I spent some time with a good friend of mine who's uh, had a really terrible illness and had to have life-saving surgery. But he talks about the gratitude he has that he survived the surgery and he's been able to recover and rebuild. He's currently got a stent and he's got a bag and he's got to have further surgery to deal with that. And he admits that there were times when he, he was focusing on the why me, why me? Um, and that was just became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And as soon as he started to focus on the gratitude and the focusing on the, right, I need, I need to go for a walk every day to build up my strength and stamina, that gave him that purpose to carry on. And we can, all we can do is just carry on, just keep going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think you summarise it so well. One final thing, I'm actually sad to bring this to a close because I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And we could Me go on, on on different tangents, gosh, until um, the cows come home. But one final question we ask every guest based on the famous book, if I could tell you just one thing. If you could share one shred of intel from your hugely insightful life and and bag of advice, what would yours be? Say yes to things. In business and in life, someone invites you out, you're not quite sure whether or not you want to go, go. And I'm sure you would have felt this when you played football. Sometimes you don't want to go. You don't want to go and play. You don't want to step on the pitch. And on a Sunday night, I have a kick around. It's quite a competitive Veterans League in St Albans. Every Sunday night, I get in the car and think, oh, for God's sake, why do I do this? 
And then as soon as I get in the car to come home, I'm exhausted, I feel energized and I sleep well. And this, you can apply the same to everything in business or whatever else. And you said yes to launching on your own and I know you've not regretted it. I feel that way. You know, I kind of caveat with my kind of risk averse uh, tips that I have, but you know, don't take stupid risks, but say yes to things. You get given an opportunity, do it. Don't regret the things that you didn't do. Mm-hmm. Is that the right way of putting it? But yeah, say yes to things. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, I knew I was going to enjoy recording today, today's podcast, and you've not let me down. Matt, thank you so, so much for your time. It's my ultimate pleasure. So just to shine a little light on all the great things you champion and all that you're achieving. So thank you very much. Oh, you're super kind. Thank you, Emma. To those listening, thanks for having us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow us on your respective streaming platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, whatever it might be. Have a good one and remember to always make collaboration, culture and integrity priorities if you're looking to succeed, whether that's in life or in business.